0: to have Chris finally back home in New York City with us. His first appearance on the High for this podcast. It was actually Chris who led to its uh, creation. Was it not, Chris? Yes.
1: Yeah, I believe you stole my idea. I didn't steal your idea. You might have stole my idea.
0: Uh, The idea for a media conglomerate (laughs) began under the High for this umbrella in early 2013. I always hoped and dreamed you'd be a part of it and look now you are here we are here we are so the music we want to talk about this week that came out last week i had a hard time coming up with albums because i thought it was a pretty weak week overall for new releases this week we have a lot of new releases that i think are worth talking about chris turned me on to some some are pretty obvious like bruce springsteen and madonna but chris luckily turned me on to some pretty cool stuff from the recent past i think the first one we want to talk about is diaspora by goldlink
1: back in a minute that's
0: crazy Goldlink is an MC from Washington DC how did you hear about Gold Link, Chris? Or where did you find Gold Link? He
1: came out with an album that I cannot remember the name of about three or four years ago that uh, got pretty good reviews. So I started listening there. I think this is his third album. It's really good. It's a really good album.
0: I'm really enjoying Gold Link. I'm glad Chris turned me on to it. We were jamming out to some in the car earlier. I guess next up would be Western Stars by Bruce Springsteen. I wake up in the
1: Led my boots are on instead of empty in the whispering grasses. down long
0: Springsteen has been in our hearts for a long time I've been a pretty diehard Bruce Springsteen fan actually since I think Chris turned me on to Nebraska in college believe it or not I don't know if you know you did that but Springsteen's great, obviously. A lot of classic records from the 80s and somewhat from the 90s. However, it's been a long time since I think there was really a record that was super impactful, especially on my heart. I think you were, <laughs> I, yeah, you were mentioning earlier that The Rising did it for you. I, I, I love the album. I love Western Stars.
1: I think it's a great album. I think there are things about it that I feel like I'm a little bit biased about it because I'm a Springsteen fan but and then I thought about that and then I was like I looked it up and like the last album that I, he released that I liked was probably The Rising which is like 2002
0: I mean it's been a while since I think Bruce had in the records he's released in the OOS. I think Working on a Dream that's fine Magic believe it or not I listened to Magic a month or two ago when I got the guitar tab book in the mail part of my Magic's
1: probably the best of the bunch yeah like yeah if you had to go through like Wrecking Ball, Working on a Dream, yeah. High Hopes,
0: like Magic's probably the best of the bunch. So but like that's Bra- not, yeah. Barack Obama and I were pretty into Wrecking Ball. That was actually we we take care of our own was one of Obama's theme songs of his twenty twelve reelection campaign. I liked Wrecking Ball and the song Wrecking Ball. We actually heard one of the early performances of it. Chris and I got lucky and were able to see Springsteen at the old Giant Stadium before they tore it down. And the first song he played that night was solo. He played Wrecking Ball. Wrecking Ball
1: by himself. Yeah. And uh, he did 10 nights, and it was an album every night, and we got to see Darkness on the Edge of Town.
0: Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. I remember us being on the floor, like, watching it, being like, this is pretty much insane. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. That was my first, I think that was my first Bruce show. Um, Seeing Born to Run was awesome, obviously. Western stars, I I like it fine. I think the problem I have is that it seems like you know Bruce is such an important artist is that every time he releases a record, it's almost he's really swinging for the fences, and in the rear view, I don't think a lot of the albums hold up like we've been talking about. Like the Rising, actually, I, I do think is amazing and live. A lot of those tunes from the Rising are still like classics in his set. Yeah, definitely working on a dream and magic for me. Don't really do it. Um, no, I, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, yeah. in general,
1: like, that's why I like this album so much. Is like, yeah. it's not him plugging it out with the E Street Band trying to, like, make the next rock and roll album. It's, like, different. Again, if you, if you took his name away and slapped on Neil Diamond's from, like, 1970, it's probably, yeah, I'd be like, oh, it's a Neil Diamond album. And it's a little Neil, but I like that stuff. Like, yeah. and I like the idea that he, you cannot release, like another rock album with him and be like pushing the bound like doing anything different, right? Yeah, he can't, he's not going to release another Born to Run, like it's never gonna happen again, right? Yeah. So, the fact that he takes risks and do, does other stuff, I'm all for it totally. Yeah,
0: speaking of swinging for the fences and potentially not making contact, Madonna's new record, <laughs> Madame <laughs> X. You're dumb, man.
1: I went back to my 17th year. Allowed myself to be naive, Dime. to be someone I've never been. Minkanza. I took a sip and had a dream,
0: and now I'm I am, for some reason, I was rooting for this record so hard, and and part of my like sheet music acquisition phase I've been in for the past couple years. I got Madonna's music recently which is her record I think from the year 2000. And I was shocked by how chock full of bangers that album is, that album is actually amazing. And it actually sounds relevant and sounds good for now. It sounds like that's like a, you know, the year 2000, year 1999, there was actually a lot of like techno type music. If you remember like the era of people like Paul Oakenfold and Sasha and Digweed, like I thought it was gonna sound like trash. But it actually sounded like really great. And when I went, I went back and read a lot about um, when that album came out, she sold like crazy amounts of um, copies of that. I think It sold like four million copies in like one week around the world. So I am, I'm a fan of Madonna. Actually, Ray of Light, I think super underrated. Actually, one of my favorite albums. When did that come out? 1998. It was actually tied with the promotion of Windows 98
1: oh, it. so you're referring to like an album that came out like 21 years ago yeah exactly like, I mean okay
0: yeah I mean since then have I kept up with Madonna and really like what would be the point yeah exactly <laughs> I mean I think she did have a couple good hits off of Confessions from the dance floor Confessions on the dance floor uh, yeah. yeah yeah I don't know about but, yeah that. but since then um, I remember
1: there being a lot of hype about it yeah but I don't remember anything coming anything good coming from yeah. it yeah
0: but sorry, the, I, yeah. yeah. This record, though, you know, for the promotion for it, she actually did a big long interview with the New York Times that she was, Madonna herself was actually really pissed about. She actually can't seem to be like, hurt by it. I don't want to be ageist because I actually am very supportive of Madonna, but she's 60 years old, kind of trying to be Demi Lovato or Miley Cyrus at so, this point. Sorry, what was the result? I read it. I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't think it was mean. I thought it was... Sure. But but it's just like, I think any artist, when they have the mirror turned on them, these celebrity profiles, because a lot of them are very cynical and a lot of them are very much like poking fun at like how grandiose these people's lives are or how seriously they take themselves or... So, so for instance, Madonna, I think I think the the view it had on her was that maybe she doesn't come off as a self-aware 60-year-old. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, (laughs) I I give
0: in, I suppose. Yeah, And and I think, like, look, do your thing, man. It's just, it's just that if you're gonna play this like straight ahead pop game, you know, there's good pop and there's bad pop. This is not that great, and there's a lot of people making similar. It's she's kind of trying to change to be relevant, and if that's what she's trying to do, it's just not relevant.
1: Okay, so in that, to me, it makes the argument of how much better the Springsteen album is based on the idea of what the alternative is. Yeah. Which is Springsteen's not trying to stay relevant. Exactly. He's trying to put out a good album. Yeah. Like he's going out there and he's like trying something new and like there's a lot of orchestration, there's a lot of strings and all this other stuff. But like it's not a normal Springsteen album. Like and and by no means can it be something that you can discuss to be like popular. Like through community is sure. But like it's not top 40 by any stretch of the imagination. Right. So, like, the forced attitude of Madonna at this point in time just feels like... Yeah. You can already look at it and go, well, we're already trying too hard here. Yeah. I, I don't want to tell you.
0: And like I said earlier, I'm actually very curious what her live show is going to be like. She's doing 11 nights at the Howard Gellman Opera House at BAM. Those tickets, I am positive, will be impossible to come by. I'll try. But... Will you really... I, I'll If they're a reasonable price. But what does try mean then? Try means, here's what I mean. Is like, there are going to be finite number of times I can ever see Madonna again for the rest of her musical life. And I'm not going to pay $500, $700 to see her if I happen to log on. Two to three? I'd pay 175 200 Fair. Sit in the rafters. So you're just in the rafters well, for two hundred. I would have. That's where I'd have a conversation with myself, where I would say, "I am. I would pay two to three hundred dollars for a floor seat, or the equivalent of a floor seat, like the orchestra section, if it's like multi-tier." Yeah, never in the theater. Get that. Well, done exa- deal. Exactly. Why even try? So the thing is, <laughs> that's the, that's if that's the case, and I probably won't see here.
1: Here's my next question, if you don't yeah. mind me. What would you expect from that, like? At BAM, by the way, which is like it's not going to be Mad Square Garden, yeah. and not going to be yeah. the yeah you know what decadent situation. It's going to be some sort of
0: real deal. Do you want to go like pay two hundred bucks to watch Madonna like sing her song? Like here's what I want, here's what I want to see. I think for you know the way I consume art, whether it be a concert, whether it be a movie, whether it even be like a discussion or something, is like I feel no pleasure. I feel no pain. I really want to sit and just see what happens okay, and see if I feel something. Sure. And with the Madonna thing, maybe I will. Maybe so it's, I will.
1: W- it's worth the gamble. It's
0: worth the gamble for me. Worth the gamble. Yeah, I get that. I mean, there's some artists, for instance, coming up at um, Forest Hills, Elvis Costello and Blondie. Like, I might be bored to tears by Elvis Costello right now. I don't know. Because I've never been a huge fan just because. Just I mean, I just never took the time to really get into it. But Blondie, every glimpse I've had of Blondie over the years, I've actually like really enjoyed. And I'm like, oh, I should actually listen to more of this. Sure. So I'd take a, I'd take a chance on seeing both of them at Forest Hills and just see what happens, I guess.
1: Do you think that, though, l- let me ask you this. If you From a music version, do you think that if you go see Blondie and Elvis Costello, that musically you already know it's going to be better than the Madonna show? Yes. Okay. So it's spectacle then with the Madonna thing.
0: Madonna, because I, I feel like um, the way I experience her music is on purely a almost scientific level of like, I listen to music and compared to music I've heard in my life. This, for instance, on this latest record, I think a lot of the lyrics are bad. But when I see an artist live and I see, especially when they're playing like a new record and I'm not overly familiar with the songs, I, I'll go and... and something will stick out that i didn't expect and that'll change my relationship with the whole project i think okay
1: uh my last question for you before we move on it's a yes or no do you think she plays a different set every night no okay next next album
0: okay the next album also really enjoying and this is another one from chris the brooklyn band crumb We actually just watched one of their music videos for Lock It, which is one of the more psychedelic things I've seen, maybe in the past 10 years. And I'm probably going to share it on Facebook, and just I just want people's feedback on what it is. I think it's actually really, really cool. Um, how did you find Crumb? Uh, same way. I saw that video.
1: Uh, I saw it on, on YouTube at one point in time, and... and it, I don't find a lot of music from YouTube, but occasionally, like, I'm sitting on a computer for work or whatever, and, like, I'll put it on, and occasionally something will catch my ear or my eye, and I watched it once, and I was just like, well, this is insane. (laughs) And, uh, and then decided to kind of figure out who they are and, like, listen to the EP, and they just released the album, uh, on Friday,
0: so... I'm actually curious. They're they're definitely probably having an album release show somewhere before we do the show section. I'll actually look that up and see if there's a show we can suggest where we can see them.
1: I'd be curious. I'd yeah. be curious to see what the show what their show is like.
0: They seem like they're the kind of band that's gonna like be playing elsewhere or something in Bushwick. Yeah,
1: it's definitely gonna be some sort of hippie, not hippie, but hip
0: thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know,
1: there are bands that I've recognized over the last couple of years, and there's not like a lot of them, but like US Girls and like. Crumb and uh, indie version of psychedelic rock, or like indie version of like funk, which is what the last U.S. Girls album was, and and it's really like when it hits, it's like really interesting. And Crumb's version of indie psychedelic is pretty cool. Definitely.
0: Yeah. All right. Next up, Lucas Nelson and the Promise of the Real has an album out. Turn off the news. Build a garden.
1: Yes, you've got a wilder side, oh, I, I,
0: I can't stand it when you leave me, babe. And I know how much it hurts when my heart breaks. Why couldn't you
1: save me the heartache?
0: Lucas Nelson, I was able to see last summer. Lincoln Center has a festival called Out of Doors, also known as Outdoors, um, where I saw Lucas Nelson and Margaret Price. Lucas Nelson is Willie Nelson's son and Willie Nelson tours. I think the promise of the real is actually his backing band and they've actually been backing up Neil Young as well. So I think what they did is he needed a backing band and was going to use them. And then they learned his entire catalog. And so because of that, um, he's been using them a lot. Lucas Nelson, the promise of the real were also the band in a little movie called A Star is Born. And he was the co-writer, I think, of 90% of the tracks. Not um, Shallow, which was more of a hitmaker type songwriting team, Mark Ronson and others. And Jason Isbell wrote Maybe It's Time, but everything else was heavily influenced by Lucas Nelson. Lucas Nelson's also the person who taught Brad Cooper how to play guitar. If you didn't know. What do you feel about this record, Chris?
1: It's good. It's not the, you know, it's not the best record I've heard, I think, this year by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, I there is a, I think music is some sort of a cyclical thing where it's, like, things come and go. Um, and there's, like, a, di- it's, like, Southern rock is dying. So I just really enjoy the fact that there's, like, it's a good Southern rock album.
0: You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of in the same ilk as actually kind of like Gary Clark Jr. right now, although he's heading in different directions. It has this rootsy kind of Americana feel that was sort of a thing that came after bands like the Black Crows. In the early aughts, maybe My Morning Jacket filled a little bit of this, although they also had more of an indie tilt and were maybe a little more psychedelic than others. But Lucas Nelson's definitely kind of like the straight-ahead rock kind of guy. Chris and I were passing back suggestions to each other. Chris's were better than mine. Um, and one of the ones I suggested for him was a record. I saw somebody on Instagram talking about how they liked the Claire Cronin record. So I suggested it to Chris. Claire Cronin is from LA but lives in Athens, Georgia now. Has a. The new album's called Big Dread Moon. And there is a track called Tourniquet, which is pretty nice. It's a actually curious if she is hitting new york soon and we will check the details on that before we do the show section but a decent number of records this week to possibly check out gold link definitely chrome definitely your mileage is going to vary with bruce springsteen and madonna and lucas nelson is one of those things too um our friend seth Pompin saw lucas nelson last week at a boot store in soho Lucas Nelson was doing some sort of like in-store private show there for his album release I mean he's like look
1: the album is the album but like he's a great musician it's a great band they're like they're really good like you know what I mean like they're backing up Neil Young yeah totally (laughs) they're not some sort of you know yeah Madonna (laughs) oh I hear you man I hear you you're not Madonna
0: anyways those are this week's releases Shows we saw in the past week. It's summertime now, which is my favorite time of the year for concerts. One of my favorite venues on earth is the Banshell at Prospect Park for Celebrate Brooklyn. Lots of great concerts happening there this summer. The season started off strong. Two shows by The National with opener slash co-headliner Courtney Barnett. Chris and I were both at The National Last Wednesday, the National is touring. They don't really do crazy year-long worldwide tours. When they do tours in America now, they really do multi-night stands in maybe a handful or more of cities. They're the kind of band, maybe like Radiohead, that only plays New York, Chicago, L.A., Silicon Valley, maybe you know a Seattle or whatever the biggest markets are. They're not trudging their way through Texas and Florida. But they did two nights at Prospect Park. was very happy they were coming in because I saw them five years ago in the same location and really loved it. They're touring behind their new project, I Am Easy to Find, which I've talked about in this program several times. Chris, give me your kind of immediate takeaway from your experience at the show because I think it differs from mine a little bit. I am... Kind of a diehard national fan. Sure. And I'm in love with this record. So there are a lot of little pieces of the show that really did it for me. How are you feeling these days about, about the national, though?
1: Uh, differently, <laughs> I think, I would have to say. Um, I think at one point it becomes like. <laughs> the, the problem with like. The problem with seeing a lot of bands, depending on who they are, with the exception of like a Radiohead, in my opinion, is like, if you've seen them by the sixth time, most of them are like, you know, besides Spring Scene and like these aging bands don't have the hits anymore and whatever, right? Like the most times you see the National is when they're doing the five shows, like you said, in any of these cities to promote the album that they just put out, right? And that's what they play. And then they play a couple of the, the hits and they kind of like go on. But like, I know what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. That album is going to make several lists at the end of the year of being like one of the top 10 albums. And I think to myself, there's so much music out there that I've been listening to that I don't know if I can justify the concept of the National's fourth best record would be my bet. Like, Mm. if I I quickly, my mind, at least third, is somehow better than. What other people
0: are doing? Yeah, like I don't know if I buy it. I don't buy it. And I think definitely on the relevance front, there are definitely more current artists that definitely reflect today better than the national. That will that will never get the credit though. Yeah, that's the deal. And I think what happens is that I'm an aging white guy. You know, you and I are both aging white guys, hovering or at forty, and the music is like ready made for people like us. And so I think, yeah, when we're the gatekeepers or the writers who write the list of the gatekeepers that look like us, the Nationals going to be right up there. Correct. But for people in general, I think it might be a different experience. Yeah. I just like – it just – why? Like (laughs) it –
1: their introduction, like their new thing was – bringing female voices in, which was, like, cool and, like, interesting and different and, like, there's still really good songs and it's still a really good album, but it's just the
0: same. I I hear you, man. I definitely hear that. Um, So Chris did not go the second night. I did. And I also loved the second night. And the second night had a bit of an intensity. The first night did not. The first night, it seemed their point was to, like, really play the new record and... I think they were like you know getting their sea legs and what they were doing. The second night had was a little wilder. It also rained a lot during the show, and Matt Berninger jumped in the crowd a lot. He also, I think, was maybe a little more drunk or more high, <laughs> and was uh, this, maybe the combination of both. Maybe it just being a little looser. Um, I, you know, for me, there were just so many moments that I can look at and be like, man, I was so glad I heard this and the way he did that. Uh, it was very cool for me. Both nights had weird interactions with people in the crowd. Second night? Oh, second night we actually had something worse than the first night. So the first night <laughs> we had, uh, and Chris was there for this, we had like a maybe a 45-year-old man and his girlfriend slash wife. They asked, they were kind of butting through the crowd and said, hey, can we get in front of you? This is... I think he said it was her first show or something. Uh, I don't know. First, he's like she's a doctor. It's her first concert. He was just annoying. He was, and he was the most annoying person I think I've ever. He he was whistling. He was clapping like a white guy. He was screaming a lot. It was very strange. It actually took me out of the moment many, many times. The next night, before, in between, Courtney Barnett and the National, there was this guy. tripping I, th- I think he was tripping it- either that or he was stoned and just can't handle himself when he's stoned but he was standing next to me and he-, he was like talking out loud to himself and then he was like asking me questions and I was you know I talked to him a little bit but I was kind of like hey man it's you know it's' In a personal space. Yeah. And, and then he was kind of, he kept court t- me a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he in there. <laughs> he don't kept, just like talk. Oh yeah. He kept touching me and I was like, yeah. I was like, Hey man, let's not, you know. And then he got insulted that, um, I don't know. I honestly don't know what happened, but he was being so weird and so loud and like so angry. The people around me. Where you like started yelling at him, like, dude, what the hell? And, like the security had to come over. It was like so strange. Oh man, this a com- the... common denominator. Yeah, at the, yeah, you're right. Yeah, at the national. Yeah, I bring the worst. Twice, I bring the worst. Out. you know what? Twice. I I think we've got the verdict here right? and what, what the problem. Was. You can
1: edit this out later, but
0: yeah, common denominator. you're, you're right.
1: <laughs> so, anyways, I... also by the way, I did not want to encourage the idea of not going to see the national. Go see the... If you haven't seen the National before... Like, the National are amazing. Like, go see the National. What I'm saying is, is, like, you don't necessarily have to see them for a fifth time. Like, you good. Yeah, I <laughs> like, mean, like... I, that's the thing, Don't right? em- Don't empty the
0: piggy bank. Yeah, you know?
1: like, you know, don't... You don't have to fly to Chicago if you're in Austin and, like, and they're not playing. You know what? You're good. Like, yeah. You've seen them five times, you good.
0: There's a lot of truth to that. Plus, YouTube has great videos these days of live performances. So then Saturday, Seth and I went to Forest Hills. His buddy won two tickets to go see Death Cat for Cutie and Jenny Lewis. His buddy could not go. And so he sent Seth a copy of his ID, and me and Seth showed up at the box office hoping they would give us those tickets, and they they did. So we saw Death Cat for Cutie and Jenny Lewis at Forest Hills. Talk about two artists that I love with all of my heart. That you don't need to go see if you've already seen them right. at this point. Right, um, Jenny Lewis, I you know will always love for her solo work. I loved Rilo Kiley. I love what she did on the Postal Service record, and I think it's a point where I went to the Postal Service tenth anniversary show at Barclay Center. That was amazing, you know, mind-blowing experience. I saw Rilo Kylie back in the day. They actually were opening up for Coldplay's World Tour in 2005, and they did, did an off night. They played The Moon in Tallahassee. I was there. Yeah. So that was awesome. Um, Jay Lewis has solo records that have various mileage. I think maybe she's on her fourth or fifth solo record. This record this year is not doing it for me so much. Her live performance was fine. It's just something about it, it. I don't know that she's past her prime. It just doesn't have the urgency it had for me. I was at one of Ryler Collie's last shows at Terminal 5 in 2008 and like that felt important and awesome and she was a rock star. You know, she's great now. It's just that, you know, she's they're becoming legacy artists. You know, Death Cat for Cutie, my favorite album of all time is still Translanticism by Death yeah. Cab for Cutie. Yeah. I don't know about all time, but... For, for me, I mean, it hit me at the right time. Like,
1: contemporary. Yeah. Me, it's up there, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's my favorite. Oh. I I just have so much nostalgia behind it. Me too. It was a period of my life, and I love them. And... I like seeing them. You know, Death Cab for Cutie has changed a little bit since Chris Walla left the band. Chris Walla now lives with, with his wife in Norway. Ben Gibbard is now married to Rachel Demi, which is Chris Walla's ex-fiance. Which is what you, you know that I don't know any of this stuff. Okay, so Chris Who's Walla. Who's Rachel Demi? Rachel Demi is now Ben Gibbard's wife.
1: But that's her. You said it like a name that like. Rachel Demi, like, oh, <laughs> former soap well, opera star. The reason
0: I bring it up is because Ben Gibbard famously got divorced from Zoe Deschanel after one year. Right. Okay. And so basically, Codes and Keys in 2011, an album that's universally hated that I loved. I loved that record, and no one else liked it. Um, around the same time, they filmed an episode of VH1 Storytellers. And the whole episode. Ben Gibbard talks about being a newly married man yes. and his new life and his future. It was like so yes. crystal clear what was happening, and within six months they were divorced.
1: <laughs> and so
0: <laughs> the big changes. And then the next record was Kintsugi, which had the leadoff single "Black Sun," which oh, is about divorce. <laughs> oh yeah, so yeah, transcendism though, so good, so good. And like that, that's a million years ago now. You know, that was two thousand one, two thousand three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Postal Service was around two thousand two, two thousand three, um, or actually, wait, I mean, well, no, 2004. Transatlanticism, I think is 01, and then and then Postal Service like 03. You know what? We'll look this up. Yeah, I think it actually may be two thousand two, two thousand four. Oh, uh, might be actually,
1: you might be right
0: actually. Yeah. So, anyways, Death Cab for Cutie, I actually their latest record, Thank You for Today, which came out last year. I I actually did some freelance work and worked on a website for them. They had this, um, thankyouforttoday.com. I'm not sure if it's still up, but they had this little, um, web app where you could go and it would generate a playlist for you. I took the gig. It didn't pay that much, but I took it because I really loved the band so much. And the concert was fine I saw them actually in the fall at King's Theater. Very similar kind of show. I liked the, the show in the fall. I liked because of the nostalgia. Because they played... Um, the, the set ended on The Sound of Settling. And then in the encore, they played Tiny Vessels in the Translanticism. Oh. Which was always amazing. The lights at, at that show were amazing. At Forest Hills, which is a big space. I think 12,000 is the cap. They probably had 11,000, maybe 10,000 people there was good, it's just, I've seen the exact show, and they also, the past couple times I've seen them, they're just busting out tunes, they're playing 23 song sets, and, they're good, but it's not, the music isn't urgent, you know, it has kind of a nostalgic sound to it now, of what indie rock was 15 years ago, and, unless they're just like, there's no drama to it it's just happening you know and even transatlanticism, just in you know they're gonna end on it in the encore it's good but there was there's no drama there's no intensity like that, that moment it's a moment that's past you know and it's a moment we remember but it's 15 years later now and compared against the current landscape I just don't think they're amazingly relevant even though I love them I'll listen to their records it's the same kind of thing They're, they'll release their version of Western Stars in a year or two and it's fine not the same thing not the same thing it's not
1: the same thing
0: yeah so that was Saturday and then Chris and I actually are sitting in his apartment right now we just got back from seeing artists that maybe fall along the same trajectory we just saw Jason Isbell and uh, Father John Misty at Prospect Park trying to see as many shows as possible this summer at Prospect Park. Jason Isbell is, you know, the consummate pro, amazing songwriter. Hasn't done too much different in the past six years since his sort of breakout record, Southeastern, came out. Granted, he wrote uh, Maybe It's Time from A Star Is Born. He performed that tonight. Whenever he plays Cover Me Up, it's a it gave me goosebumps for sure in the crowd tonight. Cover Me Up comes from Southeastern. I, I mean, I love his tunes. I thought the set tonight was this kind of pedestrian. He played about an hour. It was billed as a co-headliner, I think, but he really was... It felt kind of like an opening set. Father John Misty definitely felt like a more of a headlining set. Chris and I, I think both of our first experiences seeing Father John Misty was in January 2013 at Webster Hall. Like We went together to go see that show. That was around his first record, Fear Fun. Father John Misty was a new concept back then because he used to be the drummer for Fleet Foxes, and I actually knew nothing of him. I, I, I didn't even know that that Josh Tillman meant anything at that, at that point. I had no clue that he had aspirations to even be um, a solo artist. So Fear Fun was definitely one of my favorite records of 2012. I think Chris feels the same way. It's my second favorite record. And your first was... Channel oh, Orch. yeah, Frank Ocean. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, Frank Ocean... It's one of my favorite albums. That might be my favorite album of, like...
1: Oh, really? The 21st century.
0: I I love that Blonde a lot, too. So I mean, yeah, Frank Ocean is, like, kind of a god to me. Um, Father John Misty was fine... I have a hard time finding a reason to get super excited about his performances. Like, I enjoy it. And, like, for an evening out, yeah, it's great entertainment. It was it was nice. I just couldn't lose my mind over it. Um, and I don't feel like I will anytime soon. The past three records he's had, they're good. I mean, they're, they're totally fine. But it was nice, definitely nice being back at Prospect Park. And we definitely love that summer concert series. So, definitely glad to be there. So those are the shows we saw this past week. Alright, a lot of good shows coming up this week. Drive-By Truckers are playing Six Nights at Brooklyn Bowl, which is actually pretty bold. They are playing... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then they are playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday of next week. Drive by Truckers are one of those bands I've probably seen 11 times in the past 10 years. Not a band I'm like super in love with, but I actually, for some reason, I feel very comfortable when I am seeing them live. It makes me feel good. It gives me kind of a connection back to the South, I think, a little bit, where we both somewhat hail from I mean I guess you have Miami Roots I don't know if that counts as the South and the
1: Miami Roots is not the kind of the South but where I learned music was in the South for sure
0: yeah
1: um but what are your thoughts I'd go
0: yeah what are your thoughts these days about Drive by truckers? I mean
1: same thing nostalgic but yeah. like I'd go to one yeah I, and like you know they're gonna play one song I'm like fuck yeah like yeah you know what I mean
0: I'll tell you what is uh Hell no, I ain't happy. Yeah. From Decoration Day, every time I hear that, I'm like, hell yes. Dude, if they
1: played (laughs) any tune from Decoration Day, I'm in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I'd go see one. Yeah, Drive By Truckers is one of those bands. Six Nights. What are you gonna do, Six Nights? Yeah. If you don't know, uh, Jason Isbell used to be in Drive By Truckers. He. They have you know Patterson Hood, and Cooley. What's Cooley's first name? Mike Cooley are sort of co lead singers. I'm I my preference leans heavily towards Patterson Hood. Yeah, for that
1: band for sure. Yeah,
0: Cooley's voice I don't love. Our friend Seth actually he's a Cooley guy, which what? I, I find somewhat strange. Oh, that's yes. a
1: thing. Yeah,
0: but Jason Isbell was the third vocalist at one point. I know. And, and they're all songwriters. That was insane. What's funny too is that back in our Tallahassee, Florida-based days. Or maybe it was Nashville, because 2006, when we played the Down on the Farm Festival... That was Nashville, I think. Yeah, we, we were coming from Nashville. Our band back then was called Whiskey Richard. We played Down on the Farm. Drive-By Truckers were one of the headliners. I wonder if Isbell was still in the band at that point. I wonder if we saw him and didn't know it. Or I didn't know it.
1: I would have known... I, we, I, we've definitely seen them with Isbel. I wouldn't have known that was the case until years
0: later when I found out he was in the band because he was just playing guitar in the band yeah and and back when then we found out he was actually really 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 good yeah Um, so yeah so that's happening Brooklyn Bowl also I don't get to Brooklyn Bowl that often I mean Brooklyn Bowl the booking trends way towards jam music the past couple years when they I guess Brooklyn Bowl has been around about 10 years now which is kind of crazy if you think about it Brooklyn Bowl, I think, used to have a much more diverse lineup when they book stuff. Peter, the owner, is also the owner of Relics, and he also operates the Capitol Theater. Capitol Theater also has a lot of history with bands like The Grateful Dead and Bob Dylan, so it also leans a little jammier at times. The front bar there is called Garcia's, after Jerry Garcia. But I think like now it's like they're very much back to like their roots of like mostly jammy type bands and drive by truckers are the kind of band they're, you know, Southern rock, but they play that, that similar circuit. They have some DNA with some of those other bands. Friday at prospect park. Once again, Clexico and iron and wine. That's actually a free show. I'd have to have a good reason not to go to that. Tlaxcone, Iron, and Wine. Maybe most famously known for their stunning EP from the year, I think, 2003 called In the Rains. I still listen to that occasionally. I think it's actually a a perfect little nugget of an EP. They recently released a new album, which the name escapes me at the moment. I apologize. But they're playing Friday. That should be a great show. Sunday. City Field, Dead and Company. Dead and Company. Years to Burn! Years to Burn is the. Yeah, okay, thank you. Is the Claxcal Iron and Wine. Yeah, it's a great. That's actually a great little record. I've been listening to that in the car. Dead and Company on Sunday at City Field. Dead and Company, when they first formed, if you remember, I went to. You know, the Grateful Dead did their last five concerts, which was called Fare Thee Well. They did, I think, two at Soldier Field, and then they did three at the Santa Clara Bowl in California. The third Santa Clara Bowl concert, I actually watched at Brooklyn Bowl. They were live streaming it there with a ton of deadheads, and that was actually a really, really cool experience. And everybody thought, wow, this is the end of the Grateful Dead. Well, really what it was, <laughs> was the end of Phil Lesh's touring career on the road. Phil Lesh, at this point... But that's I, not true. He just played New Orleans. I was just there. Correct. But I, he doesn't tour. Oh. And so, at this point, I think Phil's actually like 80 years old. Um, Is he really? Yeah. He's in great shape, though. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, in 2015, I'm pretty sure he was 75 years old. Wow. Yeah, and so I, he, a majority of his gigs are actually up at the Capitol Theater. Well, He'll do, he'll do a fill-in friends. Yeah, he'll fly out for like a one-off. But Dead & Company has really been on the... Uh, so anyway, sorry. That final uh, Grateful Dead concert happened. And almost immediately, like a couple weeks afterwards, they announced Dead & Company shows with John Mayer. Yeah. Which I had heard rumblings about... I didn't think it was true. And they announced them. And I actually thought these were going to be one-offs. Like, this was never going to happen again. So they booked two nights at... Actually, actually maybe three nights at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And I paid an absurd amount of money to be on the floor for one of those shows. I went by myself, and I stood right in front of John Mayer the entire time with my mouth. Just... I was aghast. I, I, like, really... You know, I've been a John Mayer lover since the early days, <laughs> and Correct. I've defended him in every form you can imagine. So many forms. And as a guitar player, I mean, he's, he's insane. And that performance was, I mean, earth-shattering for me. Anyways, I thought that was the end of it. So they've been touring consistently for four years since. And I know initially it did, it pissed off, (laughs) initially it really pissed off the people who paid all crazy money to go to those Santa Clara Bowl shows and Soldier Field shows. But what are you going to do? Hey, look, I was at Fish Coventry. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, man. What are you going to do? Yeah, and it's like Fish... Yeah. Hey, dude, I, yeah. that was
1: it. That was the last show, weekend. It was the last shows. Brought my brother, was 18, like, whole thing. This is, and this is, hmm, 2004. Was that the way, one, I guess?
0: Was that the Great Went? Like, the one that, were, not the Great Went, the, uh, was that the one where, uh, the cars going in, they told people to stop coming to the festival? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. So,
1: yeah. So that's 2004. And when I, we spent an entire... This is back when you spent an entire day getting into... Like, the first bon, The first three Bonnaroo's I went to, you spent a day getting in. Yeah. Like, an entire 20, 12 to 24-hour day just... just because
0: getting, they weren't ready for the infrastructure. Just getting in. Yeah.
1: Just... Because they didn't know. Back in the... Like, at that point in time, like, they... That's... it's a Bonnaroo's actually one of the first ones to ever do that. And, uh... And so... The... Fish thing in Coventry 2004 similar thing where they just didn't have the infrastructure for the amount of people there, so it rained, it was horrible, it was mud everywhere and blah 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 and then uh, and then yes, when we left, uh, it was cars parked all over the interstate, just just they yeah. just pulled over and walked yeah they all walked and uh and halfway to ditch yeah, yeah just like on the side of the road like yeah. miles of just cars ditched
0: yeah.
1: and so all uh, these people and i remember being with my brother and at one point in time we were we we were one of the last people to make it on this small road where they just finally cut it off off the interstate and i remember saying to him watch you're gonna about and i guarantee in about an hour you're gonna watch just a sea of hippies coming over that hill and then sure enough coolers and tents and all these hippies smoking weed it's just like barrage of hippies going in there and and point being this is it you know you're going to go through you're going to go through the mud you're going to do the stuff you're going to win the line you're going to go this is the last show like your last opportunity to do this is like you know in this experience and whatever and then two years later I you can go see Fish <laughs>
0: oh you know, yeah no in 2017 yeah, yeah, yeah. they did the Baker's Husband 13 nights at Madison Square yeah, Garden yeah and then the same year yeah like a, a, a couple months after the 13 shows they go at long last Fish is back for four nights at New Year's yeah. it's like they're yeah you yeah.
1: Know. hey thank you lcd sound system i remember people talking about the last share concert and the thousands of dollars they went to pay her to see her at Mad square garden yeah. she's on tour uh you, you don't, don't believe it don't oh, yeah. believe the hype there is no end there is no end for any of these people. i what else are they gonna do yeah <laughs> and the thing is
0: i don't know that i'm angry at lcd so i was angry and i'll tell you why lcd sound system it wasn't about the fact that like I paid money to go to Madison Square Garden for their final show which I did. And what happened was when those tickets went on sale, they sold out so fast. James Murphy's like, did anybody, did anybody actually get tickets here because like this is insane, they shouldn't have sold out like this. So they booked four shows at Terminal 5 to make up for it. Yeah. And and you and I went to we one We went of those. to one. Yeah, and actually the year That be- was great. And the year before that we went we went to one too. And it just seemed like they were genuine about breaking up. And okay. Yeah. Wait. Wait. But here's oh, the, but here's the deal. I, okay. I was wrong, obviously. But here's the deal. They released a movie which I paid money for and downloaded <laughs> and, and, and watched. So you should be on the same page as me. No, no here, Shut up and play the hits. And shut up and play the hits was about the final show. I watched it four or five times. You should be on the same page then. It's, yeah. It's emotional well, manipulation.
1: Well, here's and financial here's,
0: he, gain. And here's where I felt even more emotionally manipulated. Vice did like a twelve part, like. Documentary about the last yeah. show and it was like oral history. I sunk so much time into it, dude. And, and so you should be just as upset as the fairly the yeah. well shit. Oh yeah, and then you like, should be just oh, as annoyed. Totally.
1: And then they came back and played thirty nine shows uh, at fucking so, Brooklyn
0: Steel. Uh, yeah, six years later, twenty seventeen, they literally played the first seventeen nights of Brooklyn Steel. Dude,
1: I. <laughs> I, I remember being around people who are like, I scored a ticket to this. And I was like, okay. Like, yeah. it, 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 I was like, there's no way you can bring me out to their 17 night yeah. comeback after two years of like being like, huh so this is weird I'm not as famous as I used to be and I'm not making nearly as much money yeah. what am I going to do now be a CEO of a company no you're going to go back <laughs> to the well and be the um, band that yeah, and, and <laughs> like you're going to sell all these tickets to
0: yeah, oh, oh, <laughs> like you're all ridiculous and, to think you just stop being that. totally and what's funny and we
1: all buy it every
0: effing time yeah. and, the th- and the thing we don't talk enough about and which is actually happening more in the past couple of years when people write about bands actually like their lives outside of playing music is that the rest of the LCD sound system, most of those people are substitute teachers. Right. You know, and Nancy 100%. Wong, yeah, and Nancy Wong, nothing wrong with this because it's New York and people live their lives however the hell how they want and who cares. You know, she has roommates in her 40s. Oh. 100%. Yeah, you know. I agree 100%. Yeah. Uh, people don't realize that
1: stuff. I remember meeting the drummer in Nashville for Shania Twain, who, when he wasn't on tour, sold shoes at Payless. Yeah. That's what he did to make money. Yeah. Because there is no like infrastructure for any of these people to where they're like, oh, we've hit the top of the game now. I'm going to retire in the lap of luxury. You walk away for all of them, except for James Murphy, essentially. Yeah. And you go, oh, I'm just going to start a band and everybody's going to love it. And you're like, I'm selling out Union Pool and yeah. then the next, a year, year later, you're not selling out Union Pool. Yeah, totally. Like, that's the deal. And everybody, and then James Murphy goes, hey, I was DJing a bunch. And it was like, the first time I DJed after the LCD Sound System broke up, everybody was there. By the fourth time, people stopped caring. Because oh, yeah. it wasn't LCD Sound System. And, um,
0: <laughs> in 20, 2017, I was so salty because <laughs> LCD Sound System put out American <laughs> American Dream. Uh, which was a good, good, it's a good fine. record. But like I'm with you though I'm salty so oh, about the it. the context of it, I'm like, agree. fuck you guys. And then, I
1: agree. It's so pretend. No, out, and then the
0: you know, and then and then the thing is, is um, oh yeah, I just oh my god. Yeah,
1: like, that's the thing. So lesson learned. Yeah. For anyone who believes this is the end, unless someone's going to fucking die. <laughs> Look, you want to know I'm the biggest music regret I have? You ready? Yeah. So in 2004. I went to Jazz Fest with a friend of mine and I was fresh out of college and I was broke and so was my friend and we had tickets to see all these shows and we pretty much just like didn't have anything else. We were staying in this shitty hotel room whatever. But Bowie was playing at the Sanger Theater. Oh, man. So we drove up into, and we parked. When we got in New Orleans we happened to park in the parking theater parking lot right across from the theater. Alright, let's go. So we go over and it sold out and like whatever and it was like uh... Hey, you happen to have tickets. I go, we only have two tickets left. It's Front Row Balcony. Uh, and they're yours if you want them for $90 a piece. And we both were poor. And we were like, we'll see him next time. Yeah. That was a reality tour. Yeah. That was his last tour damn there was no see him next time or whatever yeah. but unless that's the scenario there is yeah. no farewell shit there's yeah. none of these they're all going to do they're all going to come back they're all going to want to be famous they're all going to make the money they all want to be loved they all want somebody to take care of they all want the thing like they're going to come back with the thing there is yeah. no go away bob weir is not going to end up like owning a hobby lobby
0: yeah like
1: he's going to go play music <laughs> well the, but
0: he's he's rich well what else he sounds to too is like in twenty seventeen, they did the festival circuit, and I don't. They didn't make this money, but what typically happens is like when you see somebody on the top of a festival, like Guns and Roses or the Strokes, they're actually probably getting one to three million dollars to do that, and it's big money. Even down like the next ten bands, and so LCD Sound System in twenty seventeen hit every festival, yeah. and I'm pretty sure they made it all the way. Make right. the money. Make the money, James Murphy. Uh, on Grand and I guess Havemeyer in Williamsburg owns the Four Horsemen which is a wine bar a pretentious one at that believe it or not and it's also kind of a restaurant but it's also it's a very I've said in the past it's a small kind of delicate space so you can't really go there and have like a raucous night out it's like kind of very specific space he's actually opening up a second place next door. Did you ever go to that speakeasy in Williamsburg called Larry Lawrence? No. Maybe. But if I did, I don't. Yeah. I don't. It was kind of like this door. You went down a hallway. and It was like this room, kind of like this clubhouse bar. Anyways, he's taking over that space, and it's going to be called Night Moves. Cool. Yeah, man. So, like the movie or the song? Probably the Seager song. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, there is a movie.
0: <laughs> anyway, off on a tangent there, I might see Dead and Company on Sunday who knows and um next Wednesday I'm kind of interested too if it wasn't for
1: your bitter story about the whole thing like I kind of want to see look. no I'm, you know what I'm a little interested in going <laughs> go to Dead & Company man it'll be fine well I'm gonna I go by myself I gotta go with me no I'll go oh so let's go alright yeah I think we're gonna go well, um, we're going to de- hey guys <laughs> we're going to Dead & Company
0: um uh, I'm I'm almost positive we can find a step up ticket for under $100 which, which is the in- important piece uh, and the last one I wanna talk about, I think, is Wednesday. Always, which is like Always been seven W's TVs. They're from Canada. They're playing Central Park Summer Stage, which is maybe my least favorite venue on Actually. It. It's rivaling Terminal Five for worst place to go it's pretty bad to see art performed. Always is great. I saw them at Warsaw last fall snail mill opened up and had legendarily one of the worst performances i've ever seen in new york and but all vays were really really good marry me archie was the first track i ever got suggested to me on discover weekly on spotify and it's amazing song that's actually how i discovered this band um and maybe actually the last show i will mention is next saturday at prospect park is another free one. It is Liz Fair, Ted Lewin the Pharmacists, and Caroline Rose. And I really want to see Caroline oh, Rose. Oh, Caroline Rose, really? Yeah. Chris turned me on to the Caroline Rose record. Like I said, every year at the end of the year, I agonize all year about like what's my best of list. And then the year, I put the list out, and then two weeks later, I find ten albums I had no clue about that are actually really, really good. And that happened to me. I was at Chris's apartment. He played... Caroline Rose for me, and I've actually been obsessed with that since. I've listened to that more than anything else. So she is opening, so that means you get there early for that. Ted Leo, I don't really care too much about. Liz I've Fair. Seen him live before. It's great. I've never seen Liz Fair live. I've never seen Liz Fair. Live. Um, so that'll be that'll be cool. To check out.
1: Tank and the Bongus. or Bangus. That's t- that's tomorrow night, right? It's tomorrow night, Thursday night. Oh, this probably
0: won't come out before then, but I'm yeah. impressed. Tank of the Bongas. I You know what? We'll see how busy I am or. What my wife Oh, has. we're going tomorrow. Let's go. You know what? Maybe I will. Dude, it's fun. It's just fun. Oh, yeah. I love going, man. And it's free. Prospect Park. This is a magical thing. We're taking as much advantage of it as we can. Yeah. So anyways, a big week of concerts. Those six nights of drive-by trackers at Brooklyn Bowl. If you haven't been to Brooklyn Bowl in a while, maybe just go and have some food, which is always good. Friday, Clexico and Iron and Wine. I'm going to find a reason to go to that, obviously. Dead and Company, Sunday. Alve's next Wednesday and then that looking ahead to that Prospect Park show next Saturday, Liz Fair, Caroline Rose, Ted Leo. So those are the concerts for the week.